0: Welcome, everybody, to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. So just so we're absolutely clear as we start off here, I meant every word of that bumper intro. You're my friend. I, I love <laughs> it. You. you are my friend. Okay. <laughs> so with that out of the way, in case everybody who's listening needed to hear that, uh, we are in Luke chapter 20, and we're going we're gonna to try to get through um, Jesus's authority being questioned and then this parable of the vine growers. And both are, in my opinion, both are just really exciting. So um, with that, we're jumping right into verse
1: one. What stands out? To yeah, this is this is one of those things that you and I have talked about a lot about the, the difference between questioning and questioning. Yes, it's the difference between a challenge and maybe a question or an information seeking thing. But I will say, as before we get into this, that that this is a question that these uh, chief priests and scribes and elders asked Jesus that I think everybody needs to ask at some point, but their their reason for asking it was drastically different than most people's reasoning. But anyway.
0: Yeah. So everybody knows this. We're recording this podcast that's going to go out on Monday, on Friday. Uh, And interestingly enough, you're you're jumping into a bit of a prophetic role because tomorrow I lead off the sermon, or Sunday I lead off the sermon, which will, as you're listening to this, will have been yesterday. (laughs) Isn't that confusing? I lead off the sermon with this principle of questions versus questioning, uh, because it's really, really important. We've got to be extremely careful on this. So verse one starts and says, on one uh, of the days while, on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. So this is going well right off Mm -hmm. the bat. And they spoke saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Now, make no mistake, as we read that, we're dealing with... A, we're dealing with questioning, not asking a question right, here. Sure, right. there's a question mark there. Sure, we could, you could maybe potentially ask this in a softer way that says, hey, um, what's the authority you're operating in? That's not how they asked the question. Right. It was very much pointed and, and driving Jesus to, they're trying to back him into a corner effectively. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Jesus responds to this questioning, Uh, in some ways, maybe better than I often do. Uh, (laughs) Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you a question. I will also ask you a question. And you tell me, uh, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Now, what Jesus has done is, is effectively said, I'm going to answer your question with a question, uh, but I'm going to ask you a question that if you answer this, if you're willing to answer this, then sure, I'll give you an answer to your question. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling I'm going to reveal your heart and you're not going to want to answer this question.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's well, we, what he does. We have a we have the luxury of being able to know what was in these guys' heart. I mean, you even if we didn't know that, if we weren't able to read before and after and all the things that were actually going on at that time, we would still still kind of get to the point of what they were doing. I mean, their question, first of all, was a little bit snide. It, it was evident. Uh, we know that there was malice intended in that. Uh, we, uh, we, we see them coming as a, as a formal group. I mean, they had everybody that had anything to do with uh, leadership of the Jewish church at that time. But the question itself, the question itself concerning the authority of Jesus is one that if they were asking it honestly honestly and wanting to understand why or what gave him this authority it would be the right question but they and i and this gets into their the heart of why they were asking yeah. the heart of why they were asking was they didn't they they were asking with with the answer already in mind that n- 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 no one gave him that yeah. authority.
0: You you've actually hit on one of the most important principles here and that is if you're going to ask a question like these people and you don't really want the answer yeah. you need to check your heart already. You you need to you need to check your heart at the door because if you really are in a place of humility you will not ask a question Uh, unless you really do want to have the answer and to have the answer be given to you by the person you're asking the question. And then in genuine humility, if you really love that person, you're going to take their word for it. But these people didn't want anything to do with that. Now, you also said something very important, uh, very important to the way the previous chapter had ended off and how these people did not want anything to do with Jesus. It says in verse 47 of chapter 19, they were trying to destroy him. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake, we have a textual basis for understanding that this question was not a soft question. It was not a seeking to understand question. It was pointing it, backing him into a corner. So Jesus asks a powerful question in response and says... Okay, fine. I'm going to ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Now, their reasoning is sound here. Yes. Pa- powerful, isn't it? Yes, it they is. They reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why did you not believe him? Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's wisdom right there. This is a, this is a seasoned debating crew, yes. right? They know how to think two steps ahead or multiple steps ahead. And here's what's really pitiful. They actually know they don't believe that, and yet they keep asking him the question. Mm-hmm. But he says, that, but they say, if we say from heaven, he will say, "Why did you not believe him?" But if we say from men, all the people are going to stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. In other words, we can't our side is not legitimate. Yeah. Our position is not legitimate
1: here. Yeah, they couldn't win. Either way. And here's the, you know, you, you see all the time, you hear people say that if you really want to know what's going on, ask a question that you already know the answer to and see if the person tells you the truth. Yeah. Well, in, 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 and that only happens when you're trying to trap somebody. Yes. Generally, generally, most of the time it will be to, to trap somebody. Now, there are times when it's totally legitimate to trap somebody. For example, if, a, if a, a police officer is questioning someone about a crime that's been committed, and this person may have been the one that's committed, committed the crime, he's going to ask them a question that he already knows the answer to, to see if they tell him the truth. That would be a legitimate reason to, to, to do that. In this case... They're wanting to trap him. We We already know what their heart is. They want to destroy him, as you said. They're they're trying to destroy him. So their reason behind asking asking this question is evident in what we know about yeah. them. Yeah, I also
0: think, uh, per the you know per the wisdom of that of that motto that you just shared with us, ask a question that you know the answer to to find out if they're going to tell you the truth. Here, here's what we actually know about these uh, these leaders they knew the authority by which Jesus was claiming Mm -hmm. to operate in. And they want him to say it so that they can just point the finger and say blasphemy, even though there are many among this group who have a bit of a pit in their stomach knowing Jesus is telling the truth. He is operating mm-hmm. by the authority of God, and there, and there's a bit of fear inside of this thing. So, so here's the deal. If they say that, if they answer Jesus's question, let's go back to Jesus's question. What baptism of John, uh, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? So if they answer that it's from heaven, uh, they're stuck because John pointed to him. It was from heaven. Then why didn't you follow through? Why didn't you repent? Yes. Because first of all, this reveals that they're prideful. They don't see themselves as ever having done anything wrong. They're the right people. The second part, if we say from men, the people are going to be mad because here's what's true. The people believe his message was from heaven. Yes. He was a prophet. Yes. The people believe this. Now, what is amazing is... They viewed themselves so high that they would defy an entire people group. I mean, think about this for a second. Say the entire people of Israel knew that God had said something, but the priests, but the leaders didn't get the memo. They would rather, they would rather hold on to the, to the title of being right than to admit that the people were the ones who were actually right. This is pride like none other, right? And so uh, he he backs them into a corner. This is a this is the beauty of Jesus's approach to things at times. I don't think you should employ this every time. When if your wife asks you a question, I would highly recommend you just answer the question. Yes. Be respectful. Don't try to don't try to bait and switch. Don't try to trap her in that. Right? It yes. Doesn't matter what the motive of the original question is. That won't end well. It won't end well. <laughs> Right? But what I would say is that Jesus's wisdom is so impressive that he knows what game they're playing. So in verse seven, he says they answered that they did not know where it came yeah. from. <laughs> so they're playing. They're playing Switzerland here. Yeah. Like we're neutral.
1: Yeah, we don't. Yeah. We don't even know. Can we just?
0: Can we just be free?
1: So they. First of all, they cared more about winning this argument than about really knowing what the truth was. Because I think you're right; they did know what the truth was. But here was the the grenade in the room, if you yeah. will, when Jesus brought the name John the Baptist had to like strike fear in their hearts. I mean, it even <laughs> says at the at fear and and the embarrassment because they they did not dare challenge John the Baptist what all the things that he was doing and say they they were like. The, the people believe that this man is a prophet come from God. So when he, when, G, when Jesus mentions John, they're like, oh no, he had to bring up John. But the, but the, the other thing, I, I think it was the impact of that was so great. I mean, look at that. They, they, ha- they were almost literally, physically, as you said, kind of taken aback by it. And had to step back and regroup a little bit. It says they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say this, they, they were getting a strategy they had to hold a little bit of a council yes, <laughs> to figure out what they were going to do, and 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 it appeared that that instead of them trapping trapping Jesus, that they were the ones that were in the trap, <laughs> yes. and they recognized it quickly. They weren't stupid <laughs> men by any stretch. Yes, and they're like, "Oh no, the trap we set, we just got caught in it." Yes, absolutely. I think I think
0: just looking at this story. Uh, let's, let's go down this little path that, uh, that one of our, one of our favorite people when he's at Father's Group, brings us down. And that would be Jim Barringer. When he's at (laughs) Father's Group, he likes to say, if this were a movie, you know, he likes to do this. And who knows if Jim's listening to this, but it's fantastic. If this were a movie, here's how I see this playing out. (laughs) First of all, they've gone to Jesus all bold. You know, it's like they've, they've walked up to him with this united front. They're very bold. They stand before him and they point their fingers at him. And they're saying, what authority are you operating under? And Jesus turns the tables. Ask them this question, and all of a sudden they kind of huddle back up and go, uh-oh. And, and you see them kind of whispering to each other like, wow, we weren't ready for that one, yeah. you know? We really weren't prepared for this situation. And so then they come back, and they have to just basically say, we don't know. Now, here, here is an impressive thing. These men wanted to do one of two things, but definitely not the third. They wanted to win, Or as the story plays out, they wanted to remain neutral, but they sure didn't want to lose. Because if they lose in this game, it has eternal implications or it has physical uh, implications. Mm -hmm. The eternal implications, if they side that John was from God, the eternal implications is why didn't you believe him and repent? The physical implications of if they didn't believe this, the people are going to beat them down with rocks. I yes. mean, <laughs> right? yes. So, so you're, you're actually out on your, on your patoot here uh, and, and quite hurting at that. So it is amazing the pride of these men. And where we need to be careful in this is that sometimes, and this is just a, this is just a kind of a tangential uh, application. We've got to be careful that when we're wrong, we just need to admit we're wrong. And move mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. If we stay neutral, all we're doing is delaying our delaying inevitability. We're delaying it. We're going to be found out to be wrong anyway. And if we and if we will admit that we're wrong, if we will confess the right way, John was from God, your authority is from God, what what lies before us? Grace.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why right. would these
0: men not do this? So Jesus says to them, okay. I'm not going to tell you what authority I do these things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell you with which authority I do these things. What you know, yeah. amazing. And then, the, and then he goes into a parable, uh, yeah. the, which is totally uh, yeah. Jesus, right? He's like, okay, moving on.
1: Let me tell you a story. Yeah. Yeah. the trap was set, and they were caught and couldn't get out of it. it. It and and I now I have to think about this, and 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 it is something that that I believe. I believe that some of these men, they had to know they knew the scripture, they understood the prophecies, they had to know that when Jesus said he was of God, that he was telling the truth, they had to have some inkling of this. And especially as it related to John, they I I, I know that they had never seen anybody who they could have ever pointed to and said, Oh, wait a minute, that's the forerunner of Christ. They couldn't, they couldn't dispute that about John. So so there was a, a point at which they had to say in their heart, okay, he's about to upset the whole apple cart, everything that we've we've built, everything that we've done, every every piece of this, this, this hierarchy, that is the, the structure of the Jewish faith, he's about to unravel. But he may be the Messiah. But we can't let him unravel this. Yes. We can't let him stop this. It doesn't matter if it's the truth or not. So here's the, here's the issue with this, and this is why everyone needs to ask this question to themselves, is that if we say, by what authority is Jesus telling me what, what how I need to live? If we understand it's from God and say, I choose to not allow that to change me. I choose... To not take the truth that I've been told and make it make my life different, there's there's no there's no more mercy for yes, that. Yes. There's no mercy for that. When you willingly know, when you know, and these men, I believe, I believe that they had some of them, maybe not all of them, but they had the truth right in front of them so many times. They could not have not known they chose not to act on yes. it. We've moved, we've crossed that bridge from
0: ignorance to willful disobedience. Yes. And and that is the thing here. Now, I I believe that this is one very important lesson for preachers today. And you just kind of have to kind of bear with my my train of thought here because it's really it is important. It's just maybe uh, hard to process right off the bat. Why were they okay with with John the Baptist. Why would these men be okay with John the Baptist but not be okay with Jesus? Here's my, here's my uh, proposal to you. They're okay with John the Baptist because John the Baptist has come along and he has said repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, these religious leaders could have said, yeah there's a way we can twist John's message to be actually for us you know who needs to repent everybody else okay they're, everybody else needs to repent i'm fine i'm good here but they all need to repent they're good with john's message but see jesus comes on the scene and he does exactly what you just said he demands something by his claim he demands, by the claim of Lord—remember the story we just came off of, his triumphal entry—he demands, by the claim of riding a donkey into Jerusalem, by declaring, by his disciples declaring, Hosanna, right, in the highest, right, this is, this is the King of kings, this is the Lord of lords, there's peace in heaven because of this one who has come. By his claim, he says, you have no other option but to obey me, and if you disobey me, we have a problem. So— With John the Baptist, no allegiance is demanded. You must repent and believe in this vague idea about God. But I'm not saying that John believed that. I'm saying that people contorted it that way. When it comes to Jesus, now you have to do as... C.S. Lewis would have said, or many modern writers have modified this. You have to contend with Jesus as either a lunatic or Lord. Mm -hmm. And if he's Lord, you have to surrender. You have to do what he says. Now, you might be asking yourself this question. Okay, Nathan, what in the world does that have to do with modern preachers? Well, here's the deal. If modern preachers play the game of the Pharisee, All they have to do is proclaim a message that sounds general and vague and and says, you know, here's what you ought to do, those of you wretched, pitiful sinners. But by the way, I'm definitely not talking to you because you're an awesome person. Jesus walks in the room and says, we all have some repenting to do. (laughs) Jesus walks in and says, I demand, I demand, and this is a hard thing for people because we, again, have a fundamental misunderstanding of grace. Jesus says, I demand full allegiance. The Pharisees were not okay with that. They had to give up their authority, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to be a modern-day preacher, or if you're going to be even a modern-day Christian, you have to understand that this heart of Pharisaism is very, very appealing to say, you know what? I'm going to go with this thing that doesn't hold any weight in my life. I'm just going to act like it's everybody else's problem, but not my own. Ah, but if you're truly a servant of God, you have to look in your heart every day and say, "God, whatever is unclean in me, I want—I want it rooted out. I yeah. want to do it your way." So, uh, an amazing thing—I'm still enthralled with Jesus's—Jesus's uh, Jesus's yes. trap or reversal of the trap. It's just an amazing thing. Uh, I think we see clearly that idea of. Um, If they had asked him a question, we would be in a different place, but they were questioning him. And he turns it right around on them. So he goes into a parable, and this parable uh, excoriates them, right? This parable is going to really uh, hurt them. So verse 9, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son, perhaps they will respect him. But the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owners of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers, and will give the vineyard to another." When they heard it, they said, may it never be. And Jesus looked at them and said, when this, uh, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls, it will scatter him
1: uh, like dust. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, this is a re- really cool story. Uh, that Jesus tells, because once again, and I, I say this a lot, and it's it, it always amazes me. He's telling them, he gives them an example of something that they know to teach them something that maybe they don't know or they need to understand. But this situation with this vineyard and the guy that owns this thing, this sort of tenant farming arrangement was a common practice in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, you can go through archaeological records that they have, and they have discovered li- uh, literally dozens of records that that show that there were disputes that were amongst the tenant farmers who did not own the land about how much of the crop that the owner was supposed to get. So this was a, 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 a common situation because it was mutually beneficial. It was beneficial to the guy that owned the vineyard, and, and oh, by the way, don't forget, the owner planted the vineyard. These guys didn't even have to plant it. Exactly. And but it was mutually beneficial to the guy that planted, as well as these people who were tenant farmers. They were they were they were working the land. They were taking care of the crops. It was giving them an income for their for their family, and it was also giving income for the fellow that owned all this. So, and and there are pictures of this. These using these examples, it, it there's. There's, uh, there is a scripture in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, that uses a very similar example of a vine dresser. Now, the, the actual message is different, so this is not unusual. Yeah, very but, much. But bear in mind, as we go through this, that the, that, that the tenant farmers or the vine dressers uh, did not buy it, they did not plant it, they were allowed to work it, and and they and and yet here they're turning against the owner that's given them all of these great benefits. Yeah. So confirmation right off the bat is that the vineyard metaphor is
0: very clear to God's people. So they're not they're not caught off guard by this. Jesus is always speaking within the uh, the context of his of his hearer. He he knows what they'll understand. He doesn't just speak some obscure thing. And this also brings us to the forefront of this idea of parables. Don't don't under don't misunderstand what the Bible means by they didn't have ears to hear or eyes to see. It doesn't mean they couldn't hear him they they not only heard the parable, they even understood the general idea of the parable, and they responded to the parable mm-hmm. and said, may it never be. They were using logic. They were using their brains. That's fine. What their disconnect was, where they were blind, was to realize... He's talking about you people, right? That's where they're blind. I think what we do is we take this to an absurd level. It's the same thing we do when we we say that people are dead in their trespasses and sins. We take it to corpse-like dead. When it's a figure of speech, people knew it in that day, and only in a modern context or a few hundred years of a modern context do we come to these absurd, uh, almost... uh, absurdly literal interpretations corpse like dead no the same thing they heard him their ears were working their minds were even engaged Mm -hmm. they got principles they just couldn't see where they played into the story so let's unpack how they play into the story First thing that comes up in verse 9 is he says, a man planted a vineyard. That's the NASB. The the literal rendering in the Greek is a certain man planted the vineyard. Now, it's my view of that 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 since this man who planted the vineyard represents God, that certain man, a certain man, a set-apart, a unique man, that's why it's a certain man. I think that's why Jesus would say that. So a certain man plants a vineyard. And he rents it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. Now, I am impressed by this idea here. Um, not First of all, that does not communicate a deism. Uh, God checked out. He, he he gave it to him. He went on a holiday. And now he's come back to, to to bug the people again. God has always been active in his people's lives. We see that through the Old Testament, through the temple being built and through his dwelling with them and, and through them being able to converse with him through prophet and priest and, and the holy of holies and all of that. God was not checking out like maybe a deist would say. But for the sake of the parable, it says he went on a long journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him, and I love this, they would give him and literally it just reads they would give him of the produce but mm-hmm. some is is how we would understand that you if you said give him of the produce that implies some right mm-hmm. Why doesn't the why doesn't the master say slave go get everything that I have it's mine anyway because he's gracious he's gracious he he's wants good. some of it because he's rightly due yeah. some of it that's yeah. perfectly fine grace. right so i think that window of grace or that that image of grace is missed at times by people. Yeah. So he says at harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even give him one little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. As as you've said, and I, I love the picture that you painted about how that this is, this is, this is talking about, this is talking about Israel. This is talking about God's people. This is talking about God. It's talking about all of those things, and and part of this is first of all, we have to look if the if the if the owner of the vineyard is representing God. If if he if if that's the 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 symbolism. First of all, he wasn't a greedy tyrant. He wasn't. he wasn't uh, standing over them with a whip t- telling them how, t- how he wanted the, the, v- the vineyard to be done. He completely entrusted the vineyard to those folks. And, and, he, and, he, and he let them work it as they saw fit. They had, but, but for that privilege of that, yes. they owed him part of the fruit. Now, here's the other thing that's really, really interesting to me. The owner of the vineyard sent a slave, one slave. So if he wanted to go and send a dump truck load or a wagon load uh, uh, of people and get and say hey I, I want I want my 10 wagon loads he sent one guy. How much could one guy carry of of grain? Really? He he God wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary the owner wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary as far as his part was concerned. So God had done everything to provide for these people who were didn't even own the field, yes. didn't own the vineyard and, and 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 they and they they beat him. They yes. beat the slave, sent yes. him away.
0: This is actually evident. This is where people have a very very poor view of the law, and the reason they have a poor view of the law oftentimes is because of a again, a misunderstanding Of what Jesus came to do and to fulfill. And uh, mainly, Jesus came to to crush these traditions of men that had been established that were actually harmful. But give you an example of a a law of God that is absolutely beautiful would be the law of Sabbath, okay, Mm -hmm. for the call of Sabbath. So when God commissions the people to to, um, obey this command and to do so um, indefinitely, I mean, I, I honestly don't believe we have a, an end to that concept. I know that our Sabbath rest is in Jesus as a new covenant people, but remember what the Old Testament would say, that the Sabbath, well, Jesus refers to it, but he, he's, he's elucidating what, what we're dealing with, and he says that the Sabbath was actually given for men. It wasn't men for the Sabbath, it was the Sabbath for men. Everything God gave here to these to these vine growers was actually for them. That's why he only sends one slave. He's not coming to take it like you, you owe me. I've I'm gonna take everything from you and you deal with this. He actually is pleased to let them have. A lot of what, they're, of what they're getting. Because why? What we're seeing is a good God, a good master. Mm-hmm. So, so we have three people groups here. Very, very important to see. We have the certain man, that's God. We have the vine growers, that's Israel. Mm-hmm. And now we have slaves. And these slaves were known to represent prophets. Okay yes. and God would send prophets and they would go and and what they were doing was to call the people to and all of this fits into that framework of faithful living before God. Remember, they were never giving anything directly to God. Even when they made sacrifices, what would happen? It got burnt up, and then most of it got eaten by the people or by the priest or something like this. God actually doesn't consume any of these things, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. He doesn't need our money is what I guess I, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. Um, when, when, you, uh, when you give to your local church, and, and the scripture talks about especially a new New Testament people that we are to give generously, we are to care for the needs of our neighbor, of the person next to us. When we are giving generously. Hopefully nobody has this weird idea that those dollars don't go to a bank account, but they all of a sudden ascend to God as some sort of weird sure. you know, deposit in heaven. Sure, treasure in heaven is being stored up, however that plays out. But God's, even the offerings that are given to God in the Old Testament were used for the people. Same thing happens here. So we have the be, the blessings of what the church can do for the community and for each other and for all that. So that's a common thing. God sends these slaves to go and call them to faithful living. He wasn't looking for, give me two grapes, right? This is just a story here. He's not saying, you give me two grapes. He's saying, I want to call you to right production, right value, to praise me. I'm the one who gave you the right to do this. So so in many ways, there's worship that is implied here and yet they're not doing it. Right. They actually don't want anything to do with the master. This sounds like the previous parable we read, right? They don't want this king to be over them. Mm-hmm. They don't want this mm-hmm. vi- this certain man who owns the vineyard to be over them. They just want to be left in peace. Well, that's not how it works. Yeah. Okay? So slave after slave after slave comes, three in total. And and I'm sure that that has some significance, some bearing that that in Effectively, it would be a a, a fullness. the The mm-hmm. prophets came mm-hmm. in their fullness. Yes,
1: and there was more than one, so that would be completely in line with what you've just said. We, and and the 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 mistreatment of those prophets, I think would would be a good analogy for Israel's re, re, rejection and abuse and even murder of these prophets. So there again it's if we have to understand that jesus is is sending a message to these guys and keep in keep in mind that they're the same crowd that he's just said i'm not going to answer your question by whose authority yes. that i'm doing these things i'm not going to answer that but i'm going to tell you this story and i want you to kind of figure it out i don't think jesus thought any of these guys were were stupid or no. ignorant of of what he was doing here. I don't think any of them. I think if they if they if they pondered it long enough, they would have to say, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! We might be in this story." And without question, yeah. without question, they're they're in the story now. They're not in the story in a good light. Yes, and that's where their blindness that's, comes. That's 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 where the issue is: is that they don't want to see themselves in that light. They don't want to be Exactly the, the part of the story that says, "Oh, we're the guy that killed the son." Yes,
0: exactly. Now let's let's just think about how they treat these three slaves first before we get to the son of the master or the vineyard owner. Verse eleven says that the first slave that was sent, they treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. The verse uh, verse twelve says the the second. Um, or that was the second slave, right? That was the, the second one. Mm-hmm. So they they beat the first slave and sent him away empty-handed. That's the end of verse ten. Verse eleven says that they beat the second slave, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And the third one, this one, they wounded and cast out. Okay, and it's, it seems implied that they they sent him away empty-handed. The idea here is that there are varying ways they treated the prophets. There were varying ways that they treated them, but they wanted nothing to do mm-hmm. with what they said. Jesus would later call them out on this and say, say, your fathers killed the prophets and you build sepulchers to them. Your fathers killed them and you act like you were on their side. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You're either on their side and against your fathers, or vice versa. You're with your fathers, and you're a hypocrite, and you're playing this game. And that's truly what they were. So they beat him, they wounded him, they sent him out. Verse 13 says, The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Mm -hmm. What's the idea? The idea is, this is the direct... Representation of me. Hmm. This is my son. This isn't my slave. This is something of a higher caliber, a higher standard here. So I'm going to send my son. Perhaps you will respect him. But, verse 14, but when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another. Remember what we just saw about the Pharisees before? They huddled up and said, oh, if he says this, then we have a problem. But if he says this, we have a problem. Or if we answer this way or that way, we have a problem either way. It's the same thing. They're huddling up. They're reasoning with one another and they're saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so
1: that the inheritance will be ours. And the following verse shows that they did just that. Yeah, exactly. These guys understood what it meant to see the son. Now they may have even thought and and some at some point several commentators and scholars said, Oh, they thought maybe that the that the owner had died, that's why the son was coming. But we 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 don't you know we don't know that. So that's all right. that's all speculation. But but here is I I think if we don't if if we don't understand this, first of all, I think we need to always read this into the world that they were in and, and the message that Jesus was giving to those people in this situation at that at that time. But I, I, I don't want to ever think that we can't learn something from this about our day and about our time. We, we, and, and I'm, this was something that just kind of stands out in a big, big way to me when I read about this, because this story is about them, but it's kind of also, in a sense... The concept is, we could grasp that as well. We we live in a country where we're the most spiritually privileged people in all of history. We can can proclaim God's Word. We can stand in in the church and proclaim God's Word. We have an endless supply of spiritual resources readily available. We have more time to, to do Pursue our spiritual goals. What God, what we believe God wants us to do. We, we have even been blessed with the financial resources to do God's work. We, but with all of these things, with all of the privileges that God has given us, we have a we have a responsibility to say, God's giving us all this for a reason. There has to be, part of the fruit has to go to him. Yes. And if we miss that, if we don't see, I, I remember when I first got saved, if we don't see, let me finish that sentence. If we don't see what God expects of us, then we're missing the point. When I first got saved, I thought, man, this is a great thing. I can sit back and just one of these days, buy a, you know, pie in the sky, sweet by and by, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have to do a thing how ignorant I was, how ignorant. And if we see our world that way and not expecting that God wants anything from us, we're blind. We're just as blind as these Pharisees. You know, uh, I want to I want to confirm that point
0: textually in just a second and specifically the point that says this applies to us today. Uh, there that that is one of the greatest challenges in biblical interpretation to say what was what was for them, what was a story that we're reading, something that is descriptive in some context in some sense versus what is prescriptive for us. Then there's the question of what is a principle versus what was a real thing that just happened to them, Uh, meaning it could be a real thing that happened to them, but there's a principle in it that applies to everybody universally. Uh, I love to say the the phrase all the time that none of the Bible was written to us, but it was all written for us, right? And, And this is why we conclude every podcast with this passage of scripture from Timothy right all scripture is god breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and training and righteousness so that the man of god can be fully equipped for every good work all scripture was written for our equipping it wasn't necessarily writ- written to us so what does that say it says there are principles that we can glean from this that we really need to glean from it yeah, so right. so before i confirm that point with the rest of this story i want to i want to turn you guys on to something that i i think is really important and that is a website if you're looking for a news outlet, a news website, kind of like um, some some one of these aggregate websites where they pull in from all these news sources, but they deal with issues that would be, you know, uh, I would say uh, pertinent to the Christian life. Um, the maker of the Babylon Bee, of course, the, his um, The the kind of the main guy, I believe his name is Adam Ford, Adam Ford uh, moved on from the Babylon Bee, sold his company to a couple of his friends, and they still run it, Um, but that he wanted to go into actual news, and so he created a news aggregate site called Discern, and it's spelled funny, it's spelled D-I-S-R-N, and you can find it at disrn.com, a really good news website, and it deals with pressing issues of today, but, it, but it, is, it is intended for the Christian audience that says, this might impact us, so we need to think about these kinds of things. So it deals with all kinds of matters, but they're, they're pertinent to the Christian life. One of the, one of the news articles, which I showed Barney yesterday, was an article that they posted about Justin Bieber okay and there's a there's an interview in there and you can think what you want about the celebrity salvations and you can have opinions and say they're not really saved or they are or, or you can just wade in and argue with everybody but i would i would challenge you to To do some research here, go to discern.com, look up the Justin Bieber article. It says, Justin Bieber says, rekindled faith came from realizing following Jesus is actually turning away from sin. Why do I bring that up? Because it confirms what Barney just shared with us. And that is, if you think that the Christian life is just pie in the sky, wait till Jesus returns, well... You're living in ignorance right now, and I hope it's not willful ignorance, mm-hmm. right? the The Christian life, it, there's a lot that God has called us to, and if we were in this story, if we were in a story like this, if we were pre-Jesus, we would have a responsibility to uh, make sure that the servant of God comes and he gets he gets a good report that we that the that the people who are keeping the vineyard are doing faithful work. He needs to get a good report. I apply this to the New Testament that in view of mercy, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The Holy Spirit needs to see a good work being produced in us every day of our life. This should be truly Amen. who Absolutely. we are. So go and check that that article out. It's really amazing. It's a YouTube video inside of the article that is, you can really hear him communicating important biblical truths. And we'll see what everybody's faith turns out like in the end, but but I'm seeing some fruit, which is really powerful. Back to the point of how this principle applies to all of us. Verse 15, they threw this heir, this they threw the son out to become the heir themselves or to inherit all of his his, his vineyard. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? This is where the principle applies further than just these people. He will come and destroy these vine growers uh, and will give the vineyard to others. Now, uh, what we're seeing here is he's going to destroy them and he's going to give it to the Gentiles. Please understand the framework in which Jesus is talking about. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. Now, what their protest was about uh, is a question. They could have been protesting, number one, that... Uh, that that these people would have ever done such a thing. I actually think their protest could be rooted also in them, in the vine, in the, uh, in the vineyard owner, giving it to foreigners, giving it to others. That may be them saying, may it never be to give it to others, no way. Nonetheless, here's where it all applies to us. Jesus looked at them and said, what then what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, modern day. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. If you fall on Jesus now, you will be broken to pieces or humbled, and there's, that, that might be a great thing. But on whomever it falls it will scatter him like dust. If that's to be read two different ways of humility versus pride, we'll talk about that in a second. If that's to be read two different ways, the truth is today we have an opportunity. We can either stumble over and be crushed by this stumbling block, mm-hmm. or we can move forward and surrender and repentance and walking after him. That's where it applies to yeah, us today. Yeah,
1: you're exactly right. And I think that we, when these guys said, uh, they' uh, they certainly not that they weren't going to all those things they didn't want any of those things that Jesus had said to happen. It could very well be that they they actually realized that the story was about them yes that the story was about that that they were the ones that were in the story they were the ones that killed the uh, the uh, landowner's son and verse 19 seems to confirm it, that verse 19 which would confirm that. which
0: really pushes you to the understanding a greater understanding of what jesus means by blind eyes and deaf ears mm-hmm. with regard to parables these people understood it yeah and they were mad yeah it says that they sought to lay hands they tried to lay hands mm-hmm. on him mm-hmm. that very hour yes
1: they, they got did. it they couldn't dispute what no. he'd said about they they this this cornerstone and the they 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 couldn't dispute any of that and Jesus knew they couldn't dispute it yes. so goes right back to what Jesus has said he said if you you know if you don't know by whose authority I'm doing anything you're done. You're done. Absolutely. So, just a little bit of this. Uh, everyone who
0: falls and broken to pieces. Uh, I just want to read you a, a piece from a commentary here uh, that I I just I find interesting. It says the quotation from Isaiah eight fourteen through fifteen um, demonstrates uh, demonstrates that those who are offended by the gospel and reject the stone will experience a disastrous judgment. Simeon, in Luke 2.34, had already alluded to this, uh, if you remember what uh, Luke 2.34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. So th- what a prophetic word there. And then the commentary finishes, it says, Jesus is the divine divider who separates the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats, the blessed from the damned uh, that that just is a reality of this now, the second piece of this, uh, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. This is how the commentary goes on. It says the same thought of two thousand eighteen is repeated, but the image now involves not the Jewish leaders falling on the stone, but they're being crushed by having the stone fall upon them. so the reason I 'm pointing this out is because the commentators don 't view this as a a repentance versus um, a repentance versus uh, f- uh, falling uh, away passage. They view it as both being judgment. The one who falls on the stone is going to be broken to pieces. But whoever it falls on, it was the commentator would say, this is the Pharisees now. It's going to scatter them like dust. So no matter how you read it, all, all that I would say is this was no small statement of Jesus. He was, he was saying something very brutal to these men. So, so again, so much for hippie Jesus, but he yeah. was saying something brutal. And and this, this to me is really one of the best ways that we can conclude this. I want to hear final thoughts from you as well, Barney. But uh, in verse 19, it says the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him at very hour uh, and the, and they feared the people and look at what it says expressly for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. Yeah. They knew it
1: they knew who it I mean was. the
0: text says they knew it yeah. the text says that it was them that killed yeah. the slaves and they were the ones
1: who were about to crucify the lord of glory so it gives more meaning to when they said certainly not certainly not this is the, not about us yes. this is not us final thought is that we know that anyone that comes to jesus has to come or should come broken for their sin we know that they that that that, 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 that that's a a broken that should should happen it's a good thing but those that come or refuse to come it'll that stone will crush them and it's going to be crushed in judgment so amen well that's
0: it for today guys and if you would please like and share this podcast with your friends and finally remember 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.